you'll get this new iPhone and it'll say, now with more battery life. And a lot of people think that, you know, some miracle has occurred and they've shoved in a whole bunch of extra lithium battery. And that's not what they've done. What they've done is they've gotten smarter about how they use the energy. I'm Diana Fox Carney, and this is Carbon Hunters, a Corporate Nights podcast. Join me for a deep dive into Canada's clean future. The energy transition is going to require a fundamental change in our economies. Some of that is going to be very clear to us. For example, as, as householders, we're going to have to choose changes in our heating systems. Other parts of it are going to be hidden from us. New technologies are enabling solutions that are better, cleaner, more reliable and cheaper. And today I'm talking with Miriam Turk from Clear Blue Technologies, and she works in a company that provides that kind of solution. We don't see it, but we benefit from it. And it's part of our new climate future. So I'm really excited to be here with Miriam today. Welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time, Diana. Miriam, could you tell us what got you into the clean tech space? Well, there are three co-founders in the company, and uh, I have worked with uh, one of the other co-founders for uh, more than 20 years, um, bringing to market uh, innovative technologies and innovative business models in e-commerce, electronic banking, uh, smart infrastructure, um, cloud computing. Uh, the third co-founder uh, is someone who had spent his career in power and happens to be my husband. Uh, we had married out of university. We each had our own careers. And he came home one day and said that there was a huge opportunity in the marketplace um, and uh, that it was around power, uh, but it needed to be smart. And I said, well, you need to bring smart cloud computing, big data analytics. You should talk to Mark. And we ended up with a customer before we even had a company uh, because the demand and the pain point was so significant. And uh, through that, we ended up being three co-founders in the company. One that is a power expert, uh, another that is an expert in cloud computing, big data analytics, and myself who has uh, got an experience with uh, building innovative business models and startup companies. Tell us then what Clear Blue Technologies does. So Clear Blue Technologies was founded on the vision that the world's electricity grid was going to go through the same evolution as the telecom system. We used to have a 100% wired telecom infrastructure in the world. And today, most of us have wireless communications with our cell phones and our computers to access the internet. We believe that the power grid was going to do the same. There's still a really big use case for a power grid, but that there are uh, millions of applications where wireless off-grid power um, was going to be the best solution. So we'll eliminate the entire electricity grid and go completely wireless off-grid power. To make that happen, there were solar panels, there was going to be batteries, there was going to be all those things. But what was missing was the brains of the system, the specific technology and smarts that was needed to take that solar panel and that battery technology and create this uh, uh, very, very small wireless off-grid power system that then could be used for mission 
critical infrastructure like smart cities and street lights and cell phone telecommunications towers and those kinds of things. So we build the brains of an off-grid system that makes you makes it possible to have a, a, a power off-grid solution. And then we operate and maintain it for our customers on a go-forward basis. So that is an interesting prospect because many of us think of off-grid as the past and the, the future is a grid-connected future uh, and off-grid is a second best solution. So you're operating in a space where you believe, and, and, and indeed it is true, that off-grid will continue to grow side by side with the grid. Yes, and there's been a number of technologies that have happened because uh, that have caused that to happen. The biggest one is something we all know of as the Internet of Things. We all know that we're going to have huge infrastructure that's going to be smart, whether it's Wi-Fi hotspots, cell phone towers, smart city infrastructure, water pumping st uh, stations, drone charging stations. We have this entire smart infrastructure that is now, you know, the things that are going to be connecting to the internet. And all of those things are now very small power. A Wi-Fi uh, router is five to 10 watts. It used to be, you know, two, 300 watts. And when you're talking about five to 10 watts, all of a sudden the thought of spending $200 per meter to cable and trench, you know, across a parking lot, uh, down a roadway or a highway or in the middle of an emerging marketplace just doesn't make sense anymore. So the opportunity for wireless power comes from the fact that we've gone digital and all of our loads are, we're replacing our, our 100 watt light bulbs with 5 watt LED or 2 watt LED light bulbs. And that infrastructure is enabling and making it possible to have wireless off-grid. The grid is a... Um, very expensive, costly part of your electricity bill from a price perspective. It costs about 60% of what you pay for that solar energy uh, is the, the grid, the transmission and distribution. And from a carbon perspective, it is not a very friendly thing. It's interesting uh, when I think about your business and, and this podcast is called Carbon Hunters and we're, we're thinking about solutions that enable a lower carbon future. And your business does that in various different ways because your most of your power or all your power that you're generating is from renewable sources. So using Correct. solar panels, you're then avoiding the uh, emissions associated with the grid connections and with the transmission losses that we see. And of course, in those countries where the grid is itself dirty, you're avoiding that. But the third thing you're doing is you are using your intelligence to optimize the way those devices interact and how they draw power. Can you describe a little bit of what's going on in that area and how that is a, a carbon solution? So I like to use the analogy of the smartphone. You know, all of us either have an Android or uh, an iPhone. And, you know, as the software versions come out, you'll, you'll get this new iPhone and they'll say, now with more battery life. And a lot of people think that, you know, some miracle has occurred and they've shoved in, you know, a whole bunch of extra lithium battery or nickel metal halide. And that's not what they've done. 
what they've done is they've gotten smarter about how they use the energy. So when you get a new version of the software, a new version of hardware, the way that the smart form vendors have made those systems now, you know, when we first bought our first iPhone, you got three hours and then you had to charge it. And now you can run it for a few days was because they got smarter about how they used the energy and uh, how they charged the battery. And, um, and so doing that same, uh, it's different technology, but bringing that same concept to an electricity grid or a mini electricity off-grid um, has the potential to significantly reduce the size of the system you need. And a simple example would be, you know, we all know that, you know, power will go along at a certain range and then all of a sudden you'll hit this peak of power consumption. Maybe it's a really hot day with huge amounts of electricity um, or, you know, you've had a rainy, cloudy week and you've had no sun for four days. In an off-grid system, that peak and that valley is what dictates the size of the system. By using predictive data, energy and weather forecasting, which we have a lot of patents on, and um, big data analytics across you know, 10 billion transactions that we've already processed in 37 countries, we've been able to kind of get rid of that peak and that valley. And when you eliminate the peak in the valley, all of a sudden you need 40% less solar panels, 40% less batteries. And so not only do we do the savings of you don't need a diesel generator, you don't need the cabling and transmission and distribution, um, and you've saved all of those benefits, we are now also able to deliver more power availability and uptime through smaller solar and battery by using predictive analytics and big data. And that's our secret sauce. You've mentioned already street lamps, you've mentioned the telecom system, you've mentioned the Internet of Things. So are those the, the main areas in which you're working? Yeah. So we made the decision to focus on um, the machine infrastructure of the world. One of the big differences between a clear blue system and almost any other system in the world is we we don't do we do the energy generation so we're the brains of an off-grid system solar panels are dumb batteries are dumb how much solar energy you get out of that is comes from the brains of the system which is our our technology how the battery does the energy in and out again it's a dumb piece of lead or lithium and how you charge and manage that battery is done by us but the third piece which is really critical is every single load is independently connected to us. So we are remote control operating every single device. So think of it like this way. Yesterday I came home from being in the country and I turned my air conditioning to when I was two hours away, you know, remotely, that's a nice thing you can do now. Someday you're gonna be able to do that with everything. You don't need that right now for, for energy efficiency and carbon savings in your house because the humans are there. But in machine infrastructure, you need the remote control. And so we manage every load. We manage the power to every load. So if we're doing a, a water pumping station in Kuwait as part of a project, there might be three pumps and four valves and two computers and a bunch of other sensors and devices and flood switches, et cetera, et cetera. Every one of those is connected by us, connected to us, and we can remotely 
turn it on, turn it off, reboot it, um, and make it something where no one needs to go to the site to operate it. We call that a lights out environment, bit of a funny phrase, but complete remote control via the internet, via cloud infrastructure from anywhere in the world. Now that makes me think that A, your customers must have to trust you enormously that you're gonna do the right thing. Um, and secondly, that you must spend an enormous amount on security uh, to ensure that that it's not vulnerable. You know, if, if someone's water pumping station goes off, that could be a critical issue. Right. Is that is that a big part of your uh, your business? So um, my one co yes, it is. And my one co-founder and I have a very big background, having built um, actually a significant part of Canada's electronic banking infrastructure. Um, having, for example, delivered a project that was once upon a time called Secure Channel, which was the first secure online access to government of Canada systems, we have experience with building architectures and hardware and software platforms that have security, encryption, and all of those things in place. The other side of the coin is that every one of our systems is a separate, standalone, self-sufficient system. So if I have, uh, you know, Bloor Street West in downtown Toronto, we have a whole bunch of uh, uh, smart city systems, they have street lights and other devices on them. Every one of them is standalone. And, you know, if the grid goes offline, or our cloud goes offline, they operate autonomously on their own, each one individually. So that redundancy builds in a level of resiliency that you can't get in any other way. Even if you're, if, if the cloud goes down, if you don't have access, the machines themselves, the, the lights will continue to turn on forever or, or just for a, a set period? Forever. forever. So, so the way you do it is the cloud definitely needs to work with the device. But what happens is the cloud tells the device, these are the things I want you to do. And if I can't talk to you, here are the scenarios I want you to operate. So then that device becomes completely independent and autonomous and operates under those business rules and those environments when it cannot talk to the cloud and has no connectivity. And that's a part of the security resiliency. If we have a denial of service or a communications attack or whatever, the systems will continue to operate. You are a Canadian company. You're, you're based here. Your co-founder is a Canadian. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in Canada? And tell us about your markets globally. So one of the problems with um, power infrastructure and uh, those kinds of things is that, um, you know, the, it's hard to get someone to be convinced, you know, you should really use our technology and use this new innovation. So when we built the company, we had a few things in mind. The first was the business case has to be one that is not dependent on a government subsidy or program. So we do not need a feed-in tariff government program in order to be economically viable. It's a standalone, viable, profitable business case for our customers. Um, the second was to make sure that the technology was designed in a way where we could go after the global market. Um, and so Canada has been, you know, is, is like less than 10% of our business. Maybe it's 10% depends on the year. Um, we do have lots of projects. I think we're in every province except, except for one. We have systems all across Ontario and, 
Alberta and um, Sass, you know, across the country, et cetera, et cetera. And those are mostly streetlights and smart city infrastructure type projects. And how many countries are you currently operating in? Uh, we are operating in 37 countries around the world, uh, of which um, Canada, the U.S., and many, I think we've got 25 states and, and nine provinces, but a lot in Africa, um, Mexico, uh, Europe, um, uh, and other markets uh, uh, where there is significant growth in power needs and power infrastructure. And when you go to these these new markets, what's your competition? Are there other people doing a similar thing? So, you know, the first thing whenever you're, uh, and I've been on the private equity side, you know, you get a technology startup company that comes in and says, there is no competition. Nobody else does what we do. And, uh, you know, everybody rolls their eyes. Um, so we have lots of competition. One of our biggest competitors is Huawei, um, but no one is doing what we are technically doing. So the way I will say it is that, um, you know, when the Apple iPhone, you know, first smartphone came out, you could do internet and applicate apps and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The biggest competitor at that point was a lot of people were still using dumb Motorola phones, you know. Um, and so our competition are people who are using the older school technology. I can understand the reasons why you're going to countries where there's a very unreliable grid or it doesn't extend far, in addition to just the fact that you've described that it can be kind of cheaper and better than the grid. Does that extend to working in remote parts of Canada? Yeah, so remote uh, is definitely uh, the, the the slam dunk, you know, I, I uh, and people love the remote pictures. We have this one site that's on the top of a mountain in the Amazon rainforest where people were using, you know, sugarcane ladders to carry the thing up. Uh, but Blur Street West, um, Blur Street West is a remote site. Um, the quote from the power utility to get power, you know, three or four meters across a concrete sidewalk that happen to have subway and telecom rights of way through the wall of a store to the back of the building to a meter to connect to the power grid utility was $35,000 per pool. So remote can be across a parking lot. Um, we did a, a, a project in New Jersey, which was a parking garage and we did the top floor. and they, they said to us, well, we have, you know, we've got all these lights and we need to replace them. So we want to go solar. And I said, well, if you're just replacing them, the cabling's already there. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Old lights are connected to old cabling and we're going to have to jackhammer the concrete. You know, so think of the top floor of the parking garage at Pearson Airport. And if they ever want to rewire and replace all the cable, they have to jackhammer all the concrete or go solar off grid. So yes. We are definitely 100% remote applications, but remote applications can be five feet away from a building. And that's how we do a lot of projects in, in, in Toronto and in, in, in Canada. Um, you know, we've got a project right downtown Toronto um, and you look at it, the power in the building is 10 feet away and $30,000 away. I wanted to ask you uh, about some of the other benefits because you're bringing light, you're bringing connectivity, and you're doing it obviously in a low carbon way. But just just talk about some of the other things that people gain, whether it is in Canada or in Africa, 
from the type of systems that you're bringing? So I, I think it's a little bit the democratization and the freedom, you know, cutting the cord, so to speak. We have the city of Hamilton, which would be a great example, uh, went out and deployed a huge amount of LED streetlights, thinking that they were going to be able to reduce their power bill on streetlights um, because they went from 300 watt lights down to 80 watt LED or 50 watt LED lights, only to have the power utility come back and say, yeah, but that's not the cost, it's not the energy, it's actually distribution. So we're actually going to increase your bill. Um, and they now do projects with us every year. We operate the solar off-grid lights for them, and they still do lights with the power utility. Um, there's been a couple of times where the power utilities say, well, the price is X for this project, and then uh, all of a sudden there's an alternative uh, that is solar off-grid, and that X all of a sudden becomes you know, a quarter of X. Um, so in many cases, we give businesses options and alternatives um, and freedom uh, to, uh, um, you know, look at many alternatives and many capabilities. And then that's one big business benefit. So I, um, I think, you know, having an, uh, a, a monopoly and a, a single source and a single option, single point of failure um, is a big thing that we solve. Um, in the emerging markets, uh, um, you know, uh, um, you are only, even if you can get to the closest on-ramp of the, whether it's the telecom network or the power grid, you're only as good as what that actual, you know, backbone is. And, and part of the big problem we have in many parts of the world is the infrastructure backbone itself is not that strong. Um, and so, you know, here in Ontario, we had the problem. Everybody ran to these solar farms, put them all in, only to realize the grid could not handle it. Um, and in the emerging markets, that is exasperated because their demand for power, you know, you'll have the power beyond, you know, I, I, there's this idea of it's either you have grid or you don't. And the problem is that there's a biggest part of the world is where you have partial grid. You may be connected to the grid. There's not enough power. So you're only going to get power four hours a day, or you're only going to get power two or three hours a week. And giving someone the option to put it wherever they need to, in whatever method, and we've designed scalable modular systems so that they can grow as the systems grow, again, um, brings capabilities and options to people who wouldn't have it before. And so on the quality of life, bringing the internet and connectivity to people, uh, which is a big part of what we're supporting, um, has a huge uh, uh, benefit that I, I haven't done, the, I, I'm not sure you could ever do the comparison, but the ability, especially for all of us who've gone through COVID, to understand that you're now bringing high-speed internet access and connectivity uh, to people who didn't have it before. And by the way, they all have phone, smartphones or, or laptops or, or tablets or that kind of thing. 90% of African adults have a smartphone. Only 10% of them have access to the internet. Um, so it's not like us where we got cell phone service and then we all waited to buy our smartphones. You know, it took a few years before we adopted that. That's not what's happening there. There's just pent up instant demand. Education, healthcare, um, you know, access to infrastructure, fair trade, uh, women's equality, all of those things that we know help societies advance are all of a sudden available anywhere. Um, 
I personally have benefited from it. I have a cottage in Northern Ontario in the middle of a lake. I got to take a boat to get there. And during COVID, I was very privileged to be able to work up there because I could get satellite internet to my cottage. Um, that Thank is you. a luxury for us. Um, it is a lifeline uh, for about 3 billion people who do not have access. And it's 3 billion people who do not have access to the internet. Um, and that is the sustainability goal that is, uh, I think, quite important. It is staggering to consider those numbers. I just want to ask you if the, the recent change in, in oil prices has sort of created a, a boom in demand for your type of systems. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the cost, of, again, the cost of a liter of diesel or gas delivered to the site of a cell phone tower is about three times what it is at the tank. Um, and when the tank goes up, you know, everything multiplies. So, so the speed by which um, there was movement uh, and momentum to do that. The other one was a sort shortage. I, I've had the privilege to go to Lagos, Nigeria a number of times, and it's about 25 kilometers from the airport to downtown Lagos. And it's usually four hours. I get there in March and it took me 15 minutes. Why? Because they had a gas shortage. Um, so shortages, you know, no one could, and Nigeria is a oil producing nation, but it had to be the right kind of oil that was finally produced. So um, the shortages that have occurred um, uh, of all of a sudden also created an impetus in addition to the cost. You know, my head's spinning with all the different possible applications of, of what you do. That's what makes your company so exciting. I'm wondering where next for, for Clear Blue. And are there particular policy changes or technology changes that could really make a difference to you as a company? We are bringing a number of new products to Marketplace. We've announced one of them called the PicoGrid. And um, uh, expanding our portfolio of the addressable market that we can go after, both in going upstream to slightly larger systems and then downstream to really small systems is a focus of our growth um, and bringing those new products to markets to support that. And then the go-to-market strategy, you know, getting the marketing, getting the infrastructure, getting the salespeople, getting the partnerships and the distribution channels and all those things, that's a big part of our growth. One of the biggest drivers, in our opinion, um, is the new satellite technologies that are coming. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether I've added it up, but I would not, I, I think I could add it up to over 100 billion of investment, um, tens and tens of billions of investments. So satellite technology has moved from very low speed, very expensive, to very high speed and very low cost. I pay $120 a month to get the same internet speed or faster at my cottage. I can zoom Netflix to my heart's content there via Starlink's, you know, um, uh, Elon Musk's new satellite services. Uh, but Amazon's announced $12 billion. Viasat's got Viasat 3 coming on. Um, the amount of investment in satellite technology to bring capacity and bandwidth is a game changer. It's a game changer for the emerging markets and it's a game changer for infrastructure here. 
Um, I think it's going to have a bigger impact than 5G and everybody talks about 5G. So we've seen that coming for a few years. Our new product, PicoGrid, is specifically um, built and targeted to go after that satellite Wi-Fi market as a first phase. Um, and that satellite Wi-Fi is uh, going to go after 3 billion people. It's half the market of the world. Um, and they are just going to bypass um, all of the legacy land-based transmission systems on the telecom side. And we are going to bypass all of the legacy-based grid transmission power systems in the marketplace. So this company has the potential to be a billion-dollar company. Um, and, uh, and to do so, I think getting back to what you earlier said, and, you know, we oftentimes talk about the fact that the world and our people to fight climate change, it's not just about doing the, let's go solar and that we're going to need innovative technology on top of every cost reduction, every, um, you know, GHG reduction, solar panel, all those things we talk about doing. Um, you know, making sure they're the Amazon rainforest, all of that stuff to stop climate change won't get us there without technology innovation. Well, Miriam, it's been it's been fantastic to chat to you today. I, I'm energized by what you've described and the, the vision of you sitting on your island uh, in northern Ontario, beaming up to the satellite and kind of running a company that can change the way people experience their daily life around the world. That's a, a great image and I think a great, a great export for Canada. So thank you so much for being with us today and we wish you well on that journey. Thank you so much, Diana. You're very kind and I greatly appreciate your time today. To help us put our conversation with Miriam in context, I reached out to Claire Colster, partner and head of science at Lower Carbon Capital. Lower Carbon Capital is a venture capital fund that's invested across the climate tech space. So I thought that Claire's perspective would be really valuable. So Claire, how would something like Clear Blue Technologies, how would you think about that as a solution at Lower Carbon Capital? At Lower Carbon, one of our core focus areas is solutions to reduce emissions across all sectors of the economy. And so a huge part of that is ultimately electrification, whether it's electrifying heavy industry, electrifying transportation, or electrifying a lot of the built environment. And that means huge amounts of new electricity generation that need to come online. So with something like Clearwood Technologies and their ability to make all these different electric devices smart and ultimately reach great levels of efficiency, that is that is really core to minimizing how much of that electricity generation growth you need. And so we look at we look at solutions like that that Clear Blue Technologies have and others that are expanding within this space. So again, one of the interesting things is this on-grid, off-grid, the side-by-side -side approach. And whenever I think of, of climate tech, I always think of multiple solutions coexisting. I think we're beyond the space where, you know, a single winner is going to be out there. We have to do what we can with everything. 
do you think that off-grid is going to be a big part of our future? I think it is going to be a, a very large part of our future. The amount of new energy generation that, that is required to meet electricity demand is colossal. So part of that will come from on-grid solutions, and that will also require significant amount of transmission distribution ex expansion, which takes time and is very expensive. And there's a lot of red tape that goes into that because you need permitting from all sorts of different bureaus, especially if you're going across country or across states. At the same time, we're going to have an enormous amount of new electric devices. Imagine in your home, now all of a sudden, you also have your electric vehicle, your electric vehicle charger, your heat pump, probably your electric water heater, and eventually, you know, maybe your, your induction stove too. And so if we're not making sure that we are using those systems in the most efficient way and communicating with the grid when the grid is constrained, we will probably be in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of trouble. On top of that, why not have that solar panel on the, on the top of your home? And if you're in an apartment building, why not have that on, on the apartment building and both ideally reduce your energy cost, but also, again, minimize the additional load that the, that the grid will have. Now that does pose some challenges because the distribution grid isn't necessarily made for bi-directional flow, but that is where these smart devices and connected devices and the management of those becomes really important. And Clearblue Technologies is clearly a, is a, is a pioneer in the space. Uh, we work with a team, for example, based in Norway called Enode that has developed an API that is able to integrate into your EV charger and communicate that to utilities so they can understand when those loads are gonna come on and essentially be able to manage that and aggregate many of them such that, you know, all of a sudden you're at the megawatt level and you're actually shifting significant amounts of load. Well, thanks for being with us again, Claire. Always interesting to hear what you have to say. Um, I was fascinated to really get under the hood of Clear Blue Technologies. It's, it's, it's quite hard to understand at the outset what they do, but as you described, it's a really important part of the future and anything that can increase the efficiency and also reduce the cost and increase the reliability of our energy systems is going to be part of our future. So thank you. Thanks, Diana. This episode of Carbon Hunters was edited and produced by Alex Robinson. I'm your host, Diana Fox Carney. Thank you for joining us.